You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. And welcome on this beautiful, glorious day. Pastor David said it right when all creation worships the Lord on a day like this. And, and, and it also worships the Lord when it's thundering and lightning and Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, comes in the midst of the earth just falling apart, it seems like. Know the power of God. This day we know the beauty of the Lord in this place. So glad that you are here. And I'm grateful for Leanna's uh, encouragement to get in a small group, home groups, then men's and, and, and women's groups. This week is especially important at home groups. The sermon is about elders today. And so each of the groups will be determining who their favorite elder is. So you want to want, no, I'm just kidding. You know I'm, you know I'm kidding. We have two in our group, so that might be a little tricky uh, if, we, if we take a vote. When I first joined the staff of Teen Valley Ranch, TVR we call it these days, I learned very quickly what many of you who have worked at TVR and at any other camp learn. And that is, no matter how you feel, when the bus rolls in on Monday morning, no matter how much you are carrying from last week that you haven't been able to throw off over the weekend, that short time of rest that you get, no matter how you feel, you must quickly run or walk excuse me, run or walk quickly to, to meet the bus and all the campers with a smile on your face. So, is that hypocritical to smile when you don't feel like smiling? Not in the least. If you love God and you love people and you love what you do, then it's natural to be pleasant even when you don't feel like it. it it's not just faking it till you make it, although I affirm that uh, absolutely piece of affirm that valid piece of advice. But more, this is obedience to the Lord, even when you fail sometimes or you don't feel like it. Pat Anderson, who was the first lady of TVR during those early years at the camp, used to say, it is never hypocritical to obey. That's a good word, isn't it? It is never hypocritical to obey. You might wonder where I'm going with all of this. Well, this day in Titus 1, 5 through 9, we're going to think about the qualifications for elders in Jesus' church. As we read the list of qualifications, you're likely going to say something like, um, I'm not sure anybody's qualified to be an elder. And while in some ways you are absolutely correct, we are tasked with bringing elders into leadership at the church. How then shall we find elders for our church? One word, grace. It's all the grace of God. Last week was our first week in a seven-week series in this book, of Titus, and the title of the series is The Grace of Godliness. 
We have already seen the importance of both grace and godliness in the introduction. An introduction to the book of Titus that Ricky Lee beautifully presented last week. And by the way, Ricky is going to be preaching two more times in this series. In this morning's text, we will get an idea of what a godly life looks like as we examine qualifications for elders. Is anyone fully qualified to be an elder? Once again, no. What must elders do then? Can we muster enough godliness to do the job? Once again, no. We can only depend on the grace of God, which not only brings salvation, Titus 2.11, but it also trains us to renounce ungodliness and instead live godly lives in this present age. It is a blessed calling, but a dangerous one as well. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 is our text. It's our custom to stand. I know it's not as easy to get up and down in those chairs, but go ahead and do it if you would, if you're able. Or if you just don't feel like it, you can stay seated. Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. This is why I... The Apostle Paul writes, left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. I love the way Paul just gets carried away in his thought and he just sort of changes midstream. Doesn't finish his sentence. He goes off in another direction, but it's all related. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, Upright and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Be seated. Last Sunday morning, Ricky explained that Titus is one of three pastoral epistles, what we know as, or, or what we call pastoral epistles. The other two being First and Second Timothy. They are so called because they were written to leaders, church leaders, or to pastors. Timothy was teaching the teaching elder at Ephesus, while Titus was on the island of Crete, overseeing several churches. There was a church in each town. Um, he was acting on Paul's behalf, so he was exercising some sort of apostolic authority. He was Paul's representative, and everything Titus said had to be followed because Titus was following Paul's direction. Now, when you look at Titus in conjunction with 1 Timothy, you learn that there are two offices established for church leadership, elders and deacons. We're going to be putting forward names for deacons, possible deacons, in the very near future here at Grace. And it may not be too long before we bring new elders into leadership positions as well. 
be praying about all of these decisions. Elders and deacons collaborate on many of the biggest decisions that our leadership proposes in the church affirms. In Titus 1.5, we would assume that there is only one church in each town on the island of Crete. So elders, plural, in every town, singular. Paul says it directly in Acts 14.23, or the Holy Spirit through Luke. Dr. Luke says it in Acts 14.23. Paul and Barnabas established elders, plural, in every church, singular. There is much more about the structure of the New Testament in 1 Timothy, and we'll go there when it is warranted as it will be today. Just jump in and out of Timothy a little bit here and there. In verse 6, Titus begins to lay out the qualifications for elders. Before we get into the individual qualifications for elders, I want us to keep four things in mind, beginning with one... No one meets all these requirements all the time. My goodness, said it over and over and over. Why is it then that we have elders? And why is it that it's such a dangerous calling? Because Satan knows that if a leader falls, he is likely to take others with him. Maybe a little more likely than others are to take people with him. Second, Every believer should strive to pursue these qualities, whether called to church leadership or not. In fact, every qualification listed for elders here in Titus 1 and in 1 Timothy 3, except for teaching, is found as an expectation for all believers elsewhere in the New Testament. So when we're looking at these qualifications saying, is this person qualified to be an elder? All believers are expected to live in this way. As my dad used to say, how you like them apples? Third, every believer who faithfully uses his or her gifts in the work of ministry will receive a reward from the Lord. While first Peter 5.4 seems to indicate that there is a unique reward for those who serve well as elders. James 3.1 warns against taking such responsibilities lightly because teachers will be held to a higher standard and accountability than others. In the parable of sheep and goats in Matthew 25, those rewarded for serving Jesus are often surprised. Lord, when did I do that? When did I clothe you when you were naked and feed you when you were hungry and visit you when you were in prison? By the way, most of the time in the New Testament, I think when he talks about visiting those in prison, most of the time the direct reference is to those who were in prison for their faith. And their faithfulness. But it applies to anybody. So they say, when, when Jesus, did we, we visit you in prison? And he said, in that you did it to the least of these. My brothers, your brothers, you did it to me. So all who serve Jesus will be rewarded regardless of the visibility of their ministry. Fourth. As the church leadership goes, so goes the church. Do you believe this? Well, think about this point more fully 
at the end of the message. But for now, we, let's get to the qualifications for elders in verse 6, beginning with, you'll never believe what's first, above reproach. At the risk of being a master, of stating the obvious or being known this way, I will say it yet again. No one can perfectly attain this standard. So why did God place this heavy load on elders? At the very least to set a high standard of behavior and belief and activity for elders. Elders are to have a good reputation both in the church and in the community at large. Their behavior should be equal to their status as church leaders. When you think of the fruit of the Spirit, you probably think love, joy, peace, patience, etc., etc. But a lot of scholars think it should read this way. The fruit, by the way, fruit is, is, is singular in the text. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And from love, we see flowing joy peace patience gentleness goodness and on and on maybe it's the same thing here a leader an elder is to be above reproach what does it mean well let me just give you the list and before anything else an elder's home life needs to be in good shape which is why he states that an elder must be a one woman man now, there are multiple interpretations of what it means to be the husband of one wife. Uh, Paul is not saying, well, as long as you only have one at a time, you're golden. You know, you can't have like multiple wives hanging out as a harem. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying as long as you only have one at a time. This requirement does not prevent a single man, a widower, or even a divorced man from being an elder if the man had biblical grounds for divorce. There would need to be space after the divorce, though, so that the individual would be tested and found to be above reproach over time. The point is that if a man is married, as most men will be over time, maybe not as much today as it was 2,000 years ago, but most men are going to be married over time, then the way he leads his home is a test for him leading the church. The Greek terms for husband and wife can just as easily be translated man and woman, so therefore the best translation may be a one-woman man. It implies faithfulness, devotion, spiritual leadership, tender care. You get the idea. Since the qualifications for church leaders um, are directed toward men, we might ask if Scripture allows women to be elders. The Apostle Paul implies in Titus 1 that the biblical design for church leadership is male leadership. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul addressed the issue directly where he tied male leadership to both the created order and to the fall. So male leadership was not just wise for the cultural moment. It is God's design for the church I understand why this first century pill 
is difficult for 21st century men and women to swallow. I get it. Understand that. But it's been God's design all along. Long remember when we were talking about from Psalm 45, we traced it from Genesis to Psalm 45 to Matthew 19 to Ephesians 5 and then to Revelation 19. It's God's design start to finish for men to be the leaders of the home and men to be leaders of the church as well. True spiritual life will never be in step with the culture. Now, look, I, I want to say these things with love and with compassion, not with arrogance or not taking a stand. We, the scripture does that for us. It takes a stand. Our church is committed to following the Lord on this and all matters of the church, whether the culture approves or not. Our church is committed because our elders are committed, not just because I stand up and preach on Sunday morning, but our elders are committed to this truth of Scripture, this principle, this, this direction from God. Look, if, if you are constantly looking and finding a way to interpret Scripture so that it fits the cultural moment, and so that the culture will approve you. Maybe you do it with the best of intentions. I want them to listen to me. And so I have to adjust my beliefs. Look, adjusting your witness, the way that you witness, that's one thing. And we all are called to do that. First Corinthians 9 makes it clear. You should never, look, don't expect lost people to act like save people. If I were blind and you knew it and I got excited like I am wont to do and I lost where I was and I fell off of this platform, would you say, what, stupid? You should have known where you, no, you'd be running up here to help me. You, you would say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. If you're witnessing to people who are blind to the gospel, don't expect them to agree with you about life, about a lot of things. But if you're constantly adjusting what you believe so that the culture will think you're okay and then you want to hang with the church even though it's uncomfortable for you at times because they don't say things like you would like them to say it. Sooner or later, you're going to come to a point where you say, look, if I give this up, I give it all up. And pretty soon, you will be believing another gospel, which is why I say, even if it's uncomfortable, believe it. It's one thing to come here on Sunday morning. That's helpful when you hear it preached. It's a lot more helpful when you get into a home group and is affirmed. So, that went a long way from the husband of one wife, right? Second, a father who leads his children well. Paul said it this way in verse 6. The man is elder material if his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery 
or insubordination. Now, the Greek word, you need to understand this, for children typically refers to children who are not, or excuse me, who are in the home. Is then a father responsible for his children's salvation? Well, not if God is the one who saves. If God saves children, then children are going to have to respond or not respond to the tug of the Holy Spirit on their lives. But while they're in the home, elders' children are expected to be well-behaved. Fathers answer to the Lord for the spiritual well-being and the behavior of their children in the home. There will be times when children go off the rails. There will be a time when wives and husbands go off the rails. Fathers and mothers go off the rails. But obedience is the expected pattern. Now, I know that mothers are with the children most of the day. And I know how unfair you feel like it is when father walks in and it goes from a cage match to Disney World like in two seconds. It's just all of a sudden. Everything's great. Everything's fun. We're loving life. We're getting along. I get that. But mothers, your role is not only crucial, it is blessed of the Lord. Fathers, Support your wives in every way you can since they have the responsibility, the primary responsibility of being with them and frankly of raising them. Fathers and mothers, live as though you believe that the father will be held most accountable for the way your children behave. Fathers, when you are home, do not sit idly by while your wife continues to discipline the children. When you are at home, when you are in public at a restaurant or at the grocery store, you're up. Don't let me see you in a restaurant and the mother's trying to corral the kids while the father's watching television, you know, see if the Panthers are going to beat the Cowboys. Of course the Panthers are going to beat the Cowboys. You should know that. So watch your kids this afternoon, right? Mamas, don't let your children grow up to be cat. No, wait a minute. I think that, that's, a, that's another talk, I think. Um, <clears throat> Mothers, let your husbands take the lead with the children. I know he lets them get away with, you, with more than you do, or maybe it's the opposite way. Typically, it's that way. Just let it be. And that is yet another talk. But fathers, lead your children. And mothers, let them. Why is the home such an indicator of a man's readiness to serve as elder? Paul states it plainly in 1 Timothy 3 where he gives essentially the same list of qualifications for elders as he shared with Titus. But he expounds on it a little more. 1 Timothy 3 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Family is important. In Titus 3, 7, Paul repeats the need for elders to be above reproach. And then he lists several areas of an elder's life that need to be in order most of the time. 
I'll put the rest of the qualifications into two categories, conveniently provided by Richard Phillips in his Titus commentary. One, proven spiritual character in verse 7. And two, tested spiritual commitment in verse 8. First, proven spiritual character. The one who is under consideration to be an elder must not be arrogant. Elders are not to be stubborn or self-willed. Two things about this. First, it is truly difficult not to be arrogant in our culture today. Most people feel the need to be convinced about their opinions to be able to loudly bring others, convince others that they're right. But really, I think more often than not, it's convincing themselves that they are right. If you are arrogant, you may convince yourself, but you're probably not convincing too many others. Oh, you're convincing some. But not as many as you think. The leaders of God's church must be arrogant. It, I, I drew up short a while ago because I said two things about this. And I've only got one thing in there in the, in the notes. I read over it multiple times. And yet, here I am with one point and without a second. So make it up. It'll be better than I would have done anyway. Number two. Elders must also not be quick-tempered. Passion, yes. Temper, no. Temper implies a spirit of resentment or vengeance. And vengeance, you remember, is to be left with the Lord. Discipline of spirit is required of elderness, elders. <laughs> and discipline also speaks to drunkenness. The Bible does not prohibit alcohol, but it absolutely condemns drunkenness. And would not this principle apply to all addictions, including games of all kinds, spending, social media, etc.? You can't be controlled by something else if you're going to lead God's church and do God's business. An elder must not be violent. Or another way to put it is an elder must not be a bully. One of the benefits of a plurality of strong elders as church leaders is that it is difficult for one person, especially the one who stands and preaches every week, to bully the rest. Now, it can happen, but it's difficult, a lot more difficult. We've seen more than our share of bullies in pulpits in our land who have done great harm to the church and to the sheep. Such violence against the church and against its people is unseemly, as are greedy elders, who should instead be generous, setting a godly example for the flock. The influence that elders exert over the congregation makes such a sin, the sin of stubbornness and, a, and an ungenerous, a non-generous spirit, it makes such a sin too costly to overlook. That is, by the way, the only time I ever want to know whether you give or not, and I don't want to know details, I just want to know in general terms, 
those who are nominated for elder or deacon, are they givers or not? Because you're going to be leading the church and making decisions over a over half million dollar budget plus, well over half million dollars. Are you giving? Are you committed? Are you generous? It's all part of spiritual character. In addition to proven spiritual character, elders are expected to exhibit tested spiritual commitment. It's not just a matter of what one does not do, but what is he already doing in service for the kingdom? Is he first hospitable? This is as much a spirit that promotes community as it is people who invite others into their homes. It's a level of comfort with people in a relaxed setting. Elders should take the lead in welcoming new people into the church family, giving them a place at the table. In the first century, this might have extended to taking people into their homes who had lost jobs and houses because of their commitment to Jesus. We may yet again find ourselves in such a place, which is why I keep saying as many of you as possible pay off your homes. So let me give it, I'm going to spell it out here. I've done this several times in the past, but lately people say, you keep saying pay off your homes. What is that about? Well, here's what it's about. You'll remember in Jerusalem that after Pentecost, many Christians, who were all Jews, by the way, all the people who were saved at Pentecost were Jews. Many of them sold their property and gave gave the money to the apostles for safekeeping. Now, this may seem like a very odd thing for you. And a lot of people have really gone astray because they said, we need to follow the uh, example of the early Christians. We need to sell our homes and give all the money away. As Dallas Willard used to say, if everybody, if all Christians sold their property and gave it to Christian ministries, boy, there'd be a boom for about two, three years. But then what? No, that's not God's design. Why was it do you think they were doing it? Well, if you understand the practice of exiling political or religious dissidents, it makes more sense. That's a very common practice in the first century, both politically and religiously. You think cancel culture is bad today? It's nothing like it was in the first century. You think cancel culture is bad today? It may be heading. Back to the future. Back to the first century. It's, it all goes around and around and around. The leaders in synagogues in Jewish communities had enormous power over their members. They had the authority to confiscate property and ostracize individuals so that others in the community were forbidden to do business with them. Like shunning, you know. Back in, in, in our um, day and land in, in some religious uh, orders. I seriously doubt that you can imagine such a day when people would lose jobs over their uh, beliefs. Well, maybe you could imagine such a day. My guess is that the sale of property by members of the first century Jerusalem church 
was a preemptive move to protect the church family. They knew what their commitment to Christ was going to cost them. They understood that. They had counted the cost and they did whatever they had to do to follow Jesus. And it was a wise move. While I would hope Christians would not have their homes taken away from them anytime soon, we may well lose jobs and find ourselves shunned by society at large. If such a day comes, it may be impossible for you to keep paying the mortgage on your home, which is why I say to so many, pay off your homes as fast as you can. I know it's not going to happen in a year. Just start doing what you can right now. Pay $100 extra if you can on your mortgage. Whatever you can do. But start preparing for the day when that comes. Now I'll do my best not to mention that too much more. Especially in this series. Um, and, and Until the Lord leads me to preach from Jeremiah. Then boy it will really come hot and heavy then. I almost did a few years ago, but went with Hebrews instead. And it was the right word for the, for the church that's, about, that, that's on the brink of persecution. Hope not, but if it does, we need to count the cost right now. So what does hospitality mean? Perhaps a whole lot more than you imagine. Well, because we're running out of time, I'm going to read the other markers of tested spiritual commitment in verse 8. And then move on to verse 9. An elder is to be a lover of good. Many of you connected with classical education would affirm this. Just a lover of good. Self-controlled. Upright. Holy. Who can be holy? Well, God calls us to be. And disciplined. These are high standards for the elders. Why? Because elders are tasked above all else with protecting the purity of doctrine within the church. And as we will see as we go through Titus, sound doctrine leads to godly behavior. And it's all grace that makes it happen. Titus 1.9 says... He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. As taught by Paul, as taught by the apostles. So that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The ability to teach is the only requirement for elders that is not expected of deacons. Although many of the deacons in in the book of Acts... Uh, preached exceptionally well. One of my favorite sermons in all of Scripture is, is Stephen preaching in Acts 7 just before he was stoned to death. It's a fantastic sermon. And we have an elder Stephen, right? Where is Stephen? Come on up and say, or nah, just kidding Stephen. I mean a deacon Stephen, not an elder Stephen. Brothers and sisters... Pray for our elders, elders, overseers, shepherds, all the same office. Multiple elders 
in every church. Pray for the spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, and you get it. You get the picture. Pray for the spiritual well-being of our elders, both current and future. As the church leadership goes, so goes the church. So as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, I want to close by reading 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16, which interestingly is at the end of the chapter that describes the expectations for both elders and deacons. What is it that elders are teaching and protecting? Him? And I can assure you the deacons are helping us do the exact same thing as elders of our church. What is it we're protecting? In writing to young Pastor Timothy, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 16, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. These services always circle around each other. What Pastor Jeff was saying, the church is the guardian and the, and the purveyor, the, 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 the propagator of this mystery that Jesus became one of us and died so that we might live. Great indeed, verse 16, we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh just imagine, God became one of us, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is what we affirm as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Jesus came to the earth as a human, fully God, fully man, 100%, 100%, no 50-50, both God and man. And when he raised the cup of wine at the Passover meal on the night before he was crucified, and when he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, what Jesus meant was that when he would shed his blood, The next day, he would do so as the substitute for sinners. Those who believe that Jesus died in their place have repented of their sins. And they have placed all their trust in him for salvation. That is what we affirm as we come this morning to the table. Now, if you did not receive a, a communion packet as you were coming in, please raise your hand. And an elder or deacon will get that to you. Is there anybody that, that uh, needs a, a communion packet? And you might want to go ahead and, and, and get the cellophane off the top section and, and be able to get to the, to the wafer. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to participate with us at the table, whether you're a member here at Grace or not. This is a meal for believers. If you have not believed, <laughs> is there ever a better time than right now in your heart to say, Oh God, I'm sorry for my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. He has promised that he will. 
This is a good time for you to put your trust in Jesus. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves before we come to the table. So let's take just a moment in prayer and, and confess your sins to the Lord. But do not hold back from this meal. This is a meal where forgiveness comes to the very forefront of our hearts and minds. Ask the Lord to forgive you of the sins that you have committed this week, this day. Prepare your hearts for the table. Father, we confess to you that we have sinned in thought, in word, and in deed. Forgive us for those sins that we have committed, for those that we have committed through our omission. We have left things unsaid. We have left things undone that we ought to have done as your children. We thank you for this time at the table that reminds us that we are your children and that also reminds us and empowers us with the grace of God that saved us, the grace that is now going to change us and to make us more into the image of Jesus. As the Spirit works in our lives, conforming us to his image. Father, thank you for your beautiful plan. Thank you for sending your son. This hymn that we worship and exalt today, even as we remember his death for us. And as we proclaim his coming and so doing. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll read from Luke 22 to prepare our hearts for the meal. When the hour came. He reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it. And gave it to them saying. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup. After they had eaten. Saying. This cup. It is poured out for you. Is the new covenant. In my blood. I know that many of you. Long for the day in the new heavens and the new earth when, when you will have perfect bodies. When you won't look in the mirror and say, Ugh. You'll say, thank you, Lord. There's one body that will be imperfect through all eternity. Jesus will bear the scars of our redemption. And we will give thanks. And it was that beautiful, ordinary, plain, same as us body. Was broken. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. 
And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Take it and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Soon we will remember Jesus' birth, the incarnation, all the promises that were wrapped up in that night on which the angels sang. Praises to God. But when we come to church, we're not commanded to remember the incarnation. We're not commanded to remember every week the resurrection. We're not commanded to remember the ascension of Jesus back into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. We are commanded to remember the time when his body was beaten beyond recognition and his blood was poured out and spilled as a propitiation for our sins. And the new covenant was instituted because we couldn't keep the old ones covenant of law likewise after they had eaten the bread he took the cup saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood And then Jesus and the disciples likely sang the 118th Psalm. Many people say that is right smack in the middle of the Bible. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we give thanks that you have revealed this mystery. It was a a truth that was previously hidden and is now made known to us through the teaching of the apostles. And according to the apostles' word, we structure this church, Grace Community Church, according to the way that you have led us. Thank you for those who were so faithful in establishing this church 27 years ago, almost Possibly to the month, 27 years ago. We thank you for that. We thank you for the elders that you have given to us. And I, what a blessing to me. Every time I stand and preach, I know that the elders are praying for me and supporting me. And have helped me to understand scripture the way that I have. And so Lord, what you do for me, you have done for the whole body. We could not get along without the people who were here way after everyone else is gone. Cleaning up from our time of worship. Cleaning up for our time of instruction. Or from our time of instruction. Lord, thank you for every part of the body serving you. As they do. We have those in security. We have children's workers. We have those who are making it possible for us to hear. Even those who are not at church today. So many people are serving you. We give thanks for this marvelous plan. 
And we pray that our elders would always honor and glorify you. And that you would bless us as you bless the design of your church and those who lead it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.